How do these sound to you? How do these sound to you? This course traverses five loops of over 20 miles each in the backwoods of Tennessee. Runners have to negotiate a treacherous unmarked trail on the steep slopes of Frozen Head State Park. There are 60,000 feet of elevation as well as soul-destroying mind games to deal with along the way. No two loops are ever the same. Okay, maybe these are more your speed. Running in the, running in the heart of the Sahara Desert takes things to a new level. When you sign up for the Marathon de Sable, you're in for the long haul. The route comprises 370 miles of hot, sandy terrain with daytime temperatures in the 120s. Not good enough? The Iditarod Trail Invitational 1000, that's 1,000 miles, is one of the longest and toughest races in the world that takes place during the winter. Set in Nick, Alaska, this will this will testing marathon will have you facing temperatures ranging from 50 below to 35 degrees Fahrenheit, rain, gale force winds, blizzards, mud, waist deep snow, and more. I'd like to know what the more is. Maybe polar bears? <laughs> Going to the other extreme, the jungle marathon takes place over 150 miles in the depths of the Amazon. It's more of a scramble than a run with vines, swamps, and trees to disrupt your flow. Twisted ankles, intense humidity, and wild animals are par for the course. These are just some of the world's most difficult foot races. They are examples of what's come to be known as endurance running. And as you can tell, none of this is for the faint of heart. This morning, though, God's word presents us with yet another difficult race. Let's look at that race together this morning. Would you turn with me over to a passage from our daily reading plan? And that is Hebrews chapter 12. We were looking at this passage last week. Hebrews chapter 12. So, having just come out of a lengthy chapter, chapter 11, focused on faith. That's been the focus. Faith. Listen to how the writer here encourages his readers to press forward in faith. To press forward in faith. This is verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, as you just heard, the main thrust of this passage 
is not difficult to grasp. We could pull somebody right off the street out there and they would be able to understand the main idea here. Using this, this popular image from the ancient world. It was an image. It was imagery used by teachers of all stripes, different places, philosophers as well. This image of a foot race, using that image, the author goes on to describe and encourage us in our journey of faith. My journey of faith, your journey of faith, the journey of faith of any follower of Jesus, any genuine Christian. This imagery we know also isn't unusual in the New Testament, is it? It's not unusual. Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9.24 where he writes, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run in that way, believer. Christian, run in that way that you might receive the prize. With all of the focus, with all of the intensity, with all of the commitment, run in that way. Even at the end of his life, this same analogy was useful to the Apostle Paul. He said, I have fought the good fights. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. And we can find it alluded to in many other places. Even if not spelled out real explicitly, this image is, is found uh, all over the New Testament. But to really understand the fullness of this passage that God has for us this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, let me suggest three ideas that I believe are really helpful in making sense of these verses in their immediate context. And that's how we study the word, right? That's how we study the word. We're careful with the context. We don't like our words being taken out of context, do we? Neither does God. Because he has such wonderful things for us when we understand what he is saying within the context. Both the immediate context and the broader context of this book even of the New Testament, as you just saw with those verses we pulled from the Apostle Paul as an example. But this idea of of digging into these three ideas, what are those three ideas that will be helpful to us this morning? They are these. They are the ideas of preparation, inspiration, and determination. Preparation, inspiration, and determination. Before we unpack those, let me reread the second half of verse 1. The writer calls his readers to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice that the race we're talking about is the race that is set before us. It's the race that is set before us. It's not the track we choose. It's not the one we design. It's not the one we prefer or simply stumble upon. It's not simply the rat race. Nor is this necessarily synonymous with that particular course that's been wearing you down. Or the particular course that you have set out to run. 
oh, this verse is so good for me, pastor. I want to hear this because I am running that race to get that corner office. I am running that race to get that promotion at work. And this is a great encouragement for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, no, no. We're not ripping verses out of context here. We're talking about the race that is set before you. That is set before us. The track is simply set before us. And as we shall see, this track is both divinely designed and well-worn. Well-worn. But look at how in the middle of verse 1, the author talks about the preparation necessary for running this race of faith. Right? Living this journey of faith that you and I are on this track that God has set before us. Just as ancient runners would strip down to run completely unhindered, the author of Hebrews calls his readers to also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. There are both good things and bad things in your life that will weigh you down or trip you up when it comes to pressing forward in faith. Do you believe that? For example, giving undue weight to the opinions of other people or undue attention to human agendas can be just as distracting and restrictive as drunkenness, sexual morality, greed, deceitfulness, all the big ones, right? All these big ones that we come come to mind, we call them gross sins. But do you know that in addition to those sins, there are other things that can weigh you down and hold you back? God would have you consider those this morning. A question like, which sins are currently clinging to my heart is such an important question. Remember the author's exhortation in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. His exhortation was this, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin promises you one thing, but never truly delivers. It never truly satisfies. What the world offers you can never truly give you what you are hungry for, what you were designed to receive, but cannot find out there. You can only find it up there from him. Sin is a liar. Sin deceives. Sin tricks. Now, I don't want to remove sin and personify it to the extent that we lose a sense of responsibility. It's our own It's our own choices to give in to sin. It's our own corruption and flesh, as James talks about, that gives birth to sin in us. But we need to know that there is sin which clings closely. Even as the author of Hebrews said, rally around one another, depend on one another, encourage one another that you might not be hardened by sin because that's what sin does. It desensitizes you to the things of God. And the more opportunity you give it to do that, the harder you get. So we understand here in chapter 12 why he presses them like that. Uh, But as I think 12.1 encourages us to ask, 
it, it encourages us to ask a broader question than just which sins are currently clinging to my heart. I think it also causes us to ask or drives us to ask who or what is hindering me or weighing me down when it comes to running God's course of faith. What have you allowed in? What have you tolerated? What have you sheltered or harbored? What have you fed? What have you exalted that God is now calling you this morning to lay aside? Lay aside. Lay it aside. Brother, sister, friend, do you hear him this morning? It's time, he's saying to you. It's time to lay it aside. It's time to run unencumbered, unhindered. There's a second idea though here. There's a second idea that is helpful in understanding this passage. In addition to preparation, it's the idea of inspiration. The author here is encouraging his audience to be inspired just as an athlete today or in ancient times might have been inspired by those athletes that came before him came before her every follower of jesus is called to draw inspiration from those who ran the race of faith before us we're called to go back and learn hear their stories, know their stories, and draw inspiration. This idea of inspiration actually brackets our passage this morning, like bookends, right? Sandwich bread. It's right there around both sides of our passage. The first inspirational bracket actually points us backward to the content of chapter 11. So the first word of verse 1 is our connector word, isn't it? It's our bridge word. You see that? It's the word therefore. Therefore, points us backwards and we want to look at what it says there. What are we to take from chapter 11 if it's pointing us backwards? Well, it's, it's pointing us back to this fact that right now we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Well, if you just read through chapter 11, I know that many of you did. You know that they are the Old Testament, they are Old Testament men and women who, who are highlighted in that chapter for their faith. People like Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, David, and the list goes on. Now in the context of this foot race imagery, that's really central to this passage. In the context of that foot race imagery, are we to imagine that these old covenant characters are viewers are watching in an arena of sorts as the foot race takes place? I don't think so. I don't think so. The word here, witnesses, is the Greek word from which we get our English word martyr. A martyr. You see, they are not looking to us. The thrust of this passage is we should be looking to them. We should be looking to them. Why? Because they have witnessed to their faith. They have witnessed to the truth through their exemplary faith. That's why God is calling us to look to them. 
when they're called witnesses, it's not about them looking at us. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an appeal for us to look to them because they are witnesses to the truth in a wonderful and remarkable way. That's why they're highlighted in chapter 11. They should inspire us when it comes to the race that is set before us because in a very powerful sense, they ran the same race. But as I mentioned, there's an end bracket here. There's an end bracket of inspiration here. Even more effective than looking back to those faithful men and women who serve God under the old covenant is looking up to the one who, chapter 9, verse 15, is the mediator of a new covenant. We are to run looking to Jesus, this passage teaches us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Those Old Testament saints might provide us with powerful pictures of faith. But only Jesus can be called the founder and perfecter of our faith, right? Only he is labeled with that title. What do those titles mean? Well, these are weird words. They don't appear a lot of times. One of them doesn't appear anywhere in the, New, in the New Testament, and it doesn't appear anywhere in literature of the period. It's the second word, perfecter. The first word only appears a few times in the New Testament, and it is translated, I'll tell you what, it is translated all sorts of ways. Author, source, head, leader, captain, pioneer, uh, founder, you know, it just goes on and on because it is such an unusual word. It's hard to get the sense of what it's actually meaning so what do we do with this how do we make sense what do these titles mean for jesus well interestingly wonderfully this isn't the first time that we've heard these two words or versions of these words in the book of hebrews look with me at chapter 2 verse 10 chapter 2 verse 10 the author says for it was fitting that he god for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So there's the same word founder, captain, author, source, leader, pioneer, right? All those translations. There's that word, but then there's a verb form of the same word that we find in chapter 12. Perfect, perfecter. And here it's used together. The founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. It is accurate to say, based on God's word, based on passages like this, it is accurate to say that Jesus was everything we needed, but also became everything we needed when it comes to faith. He was, he is, he became He will be everything that we need when it comes to faith. The possibility of faith. The example of faith. The purity of faith. The power of faith. Jesus is it all. Jesus is everything. Though the titles we find here in chapter 12 verse 2 are rare terms, not always easy to pin down like we said, in the context here, the general sense of what the author is saying is clear. And it is this. Jesus has run the race as well 
He has run the race and his victory has made all the difference. He's the one that went ahead. He's the one who's crossed the finish line. He's the one that we look to there past the finish line now, fixing our eyes upon him. Not only that he ran, but how he ran and where he stands now because he ran. Because he was victorious. Inspiration. Preparation. Inspiration. And that brings us to our third and final idea. Determination. Determination. The key word in all of this is the word we find in both verse 1 and verse 2. You see it? It's a repeated word. It's the word endurance and endured. Verse 1, endurance. Verse 2, endured. The appeal of the author and the call of God in these verses to the original hearers, the original readers, and the call of God to you this morning is not simply to run. It is to run with endurance. To run with endurance. And that's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? He was determined. He was committed. He persevered through suffering, after suffering, even in the face of the experience of a shameful death. Hung naked outside the city. Crucified. Nails in his hands. Beaten bloody on his head. More than that, bearing the wrath of God against my sin and your sin. Punishment we deserved. Taking hell upon himself that we might know heaven. Taking the ugliness that we might know the beauty. Taking the death, capital D, that we might know the life, capital L. This is what Jesus endured for us for the glory of God back look back at verse 2 Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God brothers and sisters this is absolutely central to everything that the writer has been telling his readers in light of every concern that prompted him to write this book This is central. We know both inspiration and determination are central to the author's point here. Just look at verse 3 of chapter 12. What does it mean to look to Jesus? It means that we consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus. What does it mean? It means we're considering how he ran the race, what he endured, what he bore. As one commentator expressed it, take a look. Christ's endurance of hostility from those who were blind to God's redemptive design and their own welfare provides a paradigm for the community of faith whenever It encounters hostility from society. How easy it is for us when we endure hostility from society to go on the attack. How easy it is for us to depend on human solutions, 
human strategies. When we want to strike back at those we deem enemies. We look to petition drives. We look to boycotts. We look to this and that. Whatever it might be. When we see something we don't like. Instead of looking to Jesus first. And saying how did he endure hostility? What does my Lord show me? Speaking of this community of faith, these original readers, the writer's concern here and his reader's experiences were spelled out clearly. You may remember this passage. It's really helpful in understanding why he wrote what he wrote in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And that is from chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. I've kind of paraphrased this, tightened it up a little bit. But you can go back and look at those verses if you'd like to. Chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. The writer says, Brothers and sisters, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes you, you, you were partners with those so treated, right? You stood with them. You weren't ashamed to stand with them. Therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Here it is. Are you ready? For you have need of endurance. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God... You may receive what is promised. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Even as Jesus taught us, the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Brothers and sisters, do you hear the voice of God in your heart this morning? For you have need of endurance, he's saying. Do you hear that? For you have need of endurance. What is the Christian faith? What is discipleship to Jesus? It is spiritual endurance running. That's what it is. It's spiritual endurance running. The hardest races in the world, whether deep in the jungle or baking sands or freezing cold, cannot compare to the spiritual course that has been set before us. And that course requires not physical endurance, but endurance through faith, first and foremost. Endurance through faith. It is a difficult path. And God has never told us otherwise, even though we've tried to distort the picture. Even though we've tried to major on the minors, God has always told us the path that lies ahead. Christ was always clear about that track and what it was like. The difficulty. No race in the world can compare. And therefore, as you endure, brother, sister, as you endure... God knows your weariness. He knows what you face. He knows how you're struggling. And we have a high priest, as we learn in chapter 4, who has run that race, and he knows what you are going through in running that race. And he does not despise you. 
He does not resent you. He does not look down on you as you run that race. He sympathizes with a deep heart full of love and compassion. He sympathizes as you run your course. He knows. He understands. Please ask yourself this this morning. What will it mean for me to run with endurance? Don't leave this in the conceptual. This is not out there in the ether, in the abstract. This is not a museum piece behind glass that you come up to and inspect and go, oh, isn't that interesting? No, 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 no. Ask yourself personally the question, what will it mean for me to run with endurance? This is not simply a message for those of you who are thinking about abandoning your faith. If that's even the case this morning, I'm doubtful that that's any of you. But we have to clarify because this message is for every single one of us who shrinks back in doubt instead of pressing forward in faith. And I feel real confident in saying that covers all of us. That's everyone in this room. This message is for us who shrink back instead of enduring in faith. And I know that, that even now God is convicting many of you about the ways you are shrinking back. How isolated instances maybe are turning into patterns in your life. What is God's word to you this morning? If this is for all of us, what is God's word to you this morning? God is calling us to, first of all, practice preparation. Take a look on the screen. Practice preparation. Look into the mirror of his word daily. If we borrow that imagery from the book of James, look into the mirror of his word daily, but don't forget what you see there when you look. Respond to God's conviction in your life. Confess sin Repent, don't rationalize, receive and rejoice in God's grace. Practicing preparation also means identifying things that you may deem as good or neutral, but that are nevertheless weighing you down when it comes to running the race. Bring those things to God. Talk to a brother or sister about the struggle that you are facing. Remember, we're to encourage one another, exhort one another every day, daily, that we might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need brothers and sisters. We need others in our life. God is also calling us to, number two, draw inspiration. Don't simply read the Bible. Don't simply read God's word as an account of fascinating people in far-off places, read it as your family story. Read it as a catalog of your spiritual heroes. Dig into it in that, with that mindset. Ask yourself regularly, what can I learn about faith from this or that character? How do you want to teach me, God, about faith through, uh, through Dorcas? Through Peter, through Epaphras, through Levi, through Rahab, through Esther, through Joseph, 
Right? You can just go down the list of all of these people, exemplars of faith. What do you want to teach me, God? Pray and ask God to help you walk in faith. Make that your prayer. God, help me to walk like Abraham. You wanted him to go out into the unknown just trusting you. That's it. He had no other reassurance. And God, you're asking me to step out now in my life in a place that's in a way that's unknown. And I don't see what's coming up. I can't see it with these eyes. I'm not certain, but I'm certain that you love me. I'm certain that you have a plan. Make me like Abraham in my faith. Best of all, make me like Jesus. Make me more like Christ, how he ran, how he endured. Finally, number three, seek determination. Seek determination. Decide this morning that God's will for your life, right? That God's will for you is not settling for a life of compromise while still holding on to some kind of assurance because you once prayed a prayer. No, accept that the Christian life is a foot race, a challenging reality by which God consistently calls you to persevere. Foot race, not foot bath. Foot race. Seek determination and say, God, help me to be committed. Help me to endure. But in all of this, brothers and sisters, in all of this, do the very thing that the author of Hebrews has been urging his readers to do from the opening verses of this book and throughout the entire book do that very thing look to jesus look to jesus consider jesus esteem jesus treasure jesus hasn't that been his purpose all along that's what the whole book is Presenting an unparalleled, incomparable view of Jesus. That we might look to him and treasure him, follow him, yield before him, surrender ourselves to him. Jesus Christ is not simply the greatest inspiration in a long line of inspiring saints. Jesus ran a race unlike any other and to him alone belongs the victory of victories oh i think we can do better than that steve i think we can do better than that can't we for everybody yeah amen amen and that's right from the text brothers and sisters that's right from the text it's that victory that makes all the difference in the race that is set before us we cannot miss this this is the fifth And final time in this book. Five times. That the writer has mentioned. That Jesus is sitting and has sat at the right hand of God. It was there in the opening verses of the book. Wasn't it? What does it mean? Why is it important? Because the endurance to which we are called this morning by God's word is the endurance that Jesus purchased for us by his own blood. That's your endurance. He made it possible. He sat down because his work was completed. It is finished as he cried 
in his final breaths on the cross. It is finished. What is finished? Sin has been dealt with. After he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I think that's chapter, I think that's verse three, right? Or four of chapter one. Right at the beginning. It's established, isn't it? And we need to establish that in our own hearts, that that is the decisive idea, a decisive idea in this book all throughout. Five times. This is the last time. So it's not that just that Jesus ran the race and we think, oh, Moses and David are really cool. Sarah and Rahab are awesome. But Jesus is the best of that whole list. He is, but it's bigger than that. It's better than that. Because when Jesus ran the race, his race was what has made all the difference for you. Be encouraged this morning. Let us run, not to claim somehow a possible victory, but let us run in light of a definitive victory, a certain victory, the victory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us run inspired. Let us run reassured. Would you pray with me?